Father, that's our prayer this morning, that as we look at the Gospel of Luke, that you would show us who Jesus is. That's why you've given us the Gospels, that we could see the splendor and the majesty and the authority and the salvation that can be found in Christ, and that we would choose to follow you, that we would build our life on you. So, Father, I pray that you'd speak to us by your Spirit now and do that very thing. May we be bold enough to put our faith in you, Father. So we pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. I want to welcome everyone to Risen Life. I'm Jared Jenkins, one of the teaching pastors here at the church, and welcome to those of you that are online. And I've been gone for a while. I feel like I've been gone a lot. So I'm really glad to be with you guys this morning. Um, And I wanted to give you just a little window into my what I've been doing the last 10 days over in Finland, I know, kind of random, right? Like my son said, he said, it's like Utah, but better. So that's, that's, that's where we've been. Uh, I've been there for the last week or last 10 days teaching at a seminary, a small seminary there in Helsinki, of just really godly, Bible-believing believers that are planting churches, guys that are trained to be pastors all over the country, planting churches, reviving dead churches that have lost a belief in the scriptures and what God is doing. And they're just seeing some really awesome fruit. In fact, they were telling me about a, Andy will appreciate this, a Finnish cartoonist, right, that had come to their church, a a lady, super liberal, far as they come, didn't believe in anything, but she felt God calling her to go to a church. She went to a church, one of their churches, could barely get in the door to hear God's word and would flee as soon as she could, run out of the door, scared to death of what God was doing. And she eventually becomes a believer and then wrote a whole cartoon in the paper about what God did in her life. These are the cool things that these guys are doing. And so I was there for a week teaching on Christ in the Old Testament, how the divine God was speaking through human authors looking forward to Jesus and then also showing us Jesus back in the Old Testament uh, once he had come. And so just really great things going on there. Built my faith in what God is doing around in the world. And I, I just want to encourage you guys, whatever God has gifted you to do, use it for Jesus, right? Take it and use it for him around this world as a witness. And uh, they're doing much like we're doing here in Salt Lake City. You know, we and a few pastors started a small seminary here to train guys for ministry. And we have an event coming up this Friday night at Risen Life Church. We're going to be having a scholar come in and speak on Christology. And so I'd invite you to be a part of that. This is a really important topic for our context to know who is Christ and what he has done and why it's important. And so come enhance your knowledge with us on that this Friday night, 5 to 9. You can register at slst.us and find out more details. There's dinner as well. So come and be a part of that. All right, well, we're in the book of Luke, and as Luke has told us, that this is about the Son of Man coming to seek and to save the lost, so that's what he's telling us about, and that he came announcing the kingdom of God and what it looks like. In fact, Pastor Kevin talked about that last week, the calling of the kingdom, um, the, the ways we should live as kingdom citizens, and we're going to keep going with Luke and what he's teaching us about the kingdom. And this week we'll look at Luke 7 and 8, and he's going to be showing us examples of what it looks like to place our faith in the person of Christ. 
He's going to say, here's who Christ is. Here's what he's done. You ought to believe in him. Okay, so we're going to see what examples of faith that he gives us here. Now, there's a lot of stories in here. Okay, I, I'm kind of, you know, me and Kevin, we kind of shot ourselves in the foot at the beginning of this, uh, this series because we're covering a lot of scripture fast. So hang with me today because God will speak to you through these passages. There's something in here for everybody. Okay, it's recording different scenarios and different people because God has a message for each one of us in a way that we can understand. And so we're going to look at what he has in these chapters. So Luke is presenting Jesus to us, who he is, what he's done, and he wants us to place our faith in him. And really, this is going to be the question for us over this week and next week that Luke is asking us. He's asking us, are you going to put your faith in Christ? Here's it. Here he is. Are you going to trust him? Are you going to look here for hope? Okay. And this week we'll see why, and next week we'll see Peter give us the example confession of what it means to follow Christ. So let's jump in here and look at our first example of faith. In the faith of this centurion guard. In Capernaum, that's where Jesus and the disciples were living at many of his, uh, much of his ministry, This Roman centurion, a Gentile, had a beloved servant who was sick and was close to dying. And so he sends some messengers to Jesus saying, if you could come and heal my servant, that would be great. Right? And Jesus says, okay. And he sets out on his way. But as he's on his way, a couple more people come from the guy and he says, "Uh, don't don't worry, Jesus. Forget the hassle. I'm sorry I bothered you. I'm unworthy for you to come. But if you will just say the words, I know that my servant will be healed, right? He says, because I do the same thing with my soldiers. I say a word and they go and they do it. And in Luke 7, 9, it says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, the centurion, turning to the crowds that were around him, saying, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Okay? And when the friends reunited with the centurion, his servant was healed. Okay, I want you to see what's going on here. Luke is presenting Jesus as the great healer who has authority over sickness. Okay, he has great authority over our world. Furthermore, the one who by his very words can heal. This is just like God the Father. When he speaks, what happens? It happens, right? He spoke creation into being. He can speak life into things that are dead. He can give babies to those who are barren by his very word. And what Luke wants us to see is that Jesus, by his words, can transform our lives as well. This is why we should put our faith in him. As a culture, we look at every sort of remedy to heal our lives, from psychotherapy to books we read to better physical routines and diets, And we find ourselves that Luke is showing us there's only one place we should run. And that's to Jesus, who can transform our life by the very words of his mouth. And what we'll see here in in all the Gospels, that these physical healings of Jesus are meant to show his ability to heal us spiritually. They're physical manifestations of his authority and power so that we know he's God's man. By these we should know Him and believe in Him. And if you're here today looking for answers in life, 
All these stories of healing are meant to point you to Jesus and say, He's your guy. He's the one you need. Look at Him. Put your faith in Him. So where does Jesus need to speak into your life? Where does He need to speak into the situation you are in? You know, we run to so many things that can't change us, but Luke is telling us Jesus can. He's got the authority. He can do it. And our response to who Jesus is should be one of faith. Faith is one part belief, believing in who Christ is, but then another part of action that we then begin to live our lives out in real ways, believing that that is true. And so the centurion believes that Jesus has the authority and the ability to heal his servant. And he offers a believing plea to say, Jesus, please help me because I know you can. And he may never have met or seen Jesus. He feels unworthy for Jesus even to come to his house. But he believes he can heal him by the word of his mouth. In fact, 1 Peter 1.8 talks about us in that way. It says, look, though you have not seen him, you love him and you believe in him. And when you believe in him, you will have great joy. And Luke is encouraging us. Are you crying out to Jesus, believing he can work in your life? Put your faith in Him. And then look at this next story. Luke will tell us more about Jesus here in Luke 7, 11 through 17. That Jesus has authority over death. I love this story. This, this story only appears here in the Gospel of Luke. Shows Jesus' authority over death and His compassion for us in the worst part of life. It says, soon afterwards, further down the road, the disciples and Jesus encounter a, a funeral a funeral procession going down the road. The funeral was for a man who was the only son of a widow, and he had died. And look what Luke says in verse 13 of chapter 7. It says that when the Lord saw this widow, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, don't weep. And then Jesus came up and touched the buyer, and the bearers stood still. And he said to the young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. And it says, fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And news of this went everywhere, it said. And you bet it did, right? One time many years ago, I was in a random remote part of Southeast Asia. Okay, Same situation, we're walking down a road and here comes this funeral procession, right? All to the whole village in this funeral procession. We stand on the side and we let it go by. And it's a depressing scene, right? Professional wailers, people are wailing and crying. And we were touched by, by, by this scene. Of course, there's always the kids playing behind the parade, right? But we were touched by this scene. But imagine if somebody had walked up and raised that man from the dead. That would have been crazy, I mean, everybody would want to follow that guy. <laughs> and that was, that's what Luke is telling us. He's saying, you want to follow Jesus because he's got authority over life and death. We want to put our trust in him. But it also shows that Jesus has compassion on us in our hardest moments of life. Look, the, the, the Bible gives no other reason for Jesus doing this miracle other than he was moved by the scene to have compassion on this woman. 
And this shows us that, listen, Jesus has compassion on us. He is moved in compassion at whatever situation you're in. He's a compassionate God. He's, he's like that doctor that has all the skills that wants to go to that remote village and heal people because he can. Or the parents that want to make the situation better for their kids. They want to do everything they can to rescue them. And when we attend that funeral or sit in the hospital room or we can't get out of the bed in the morning because of our depression, we encounter a tragic situation, caught in the sin we never thought we would do, it shows us Jesus looks on us with compassion and He wants to get in that situation with you. He wants to bring healing and transformation and walk with you. Because He's God. He loves you. He is the one that can bring life in the midst of the death that you are experiencing. Where do you need Jesus to bring life into your life? Let me encourage you to cry out to Him because He cares for you. Don't believe the devil that says He doesn't care and you're not good enough. He cares for you. He wants to speak into your situation. But guess what? Jesus doesn't always heal or bring life on the timeline in the way that we thought or when we would like it. In fact, we'll see in this next example of faith that we'll wrestle with just that. Look at Luke 7, 18 through 35. This is the faith of John the Baptist. Luke records for us that John the Baptist had sent two of his disciples to ask Jesus a question. And John's really trying to work out, who is this guy, right? Who's Jesus? And based on all that he's done, this is, this is the question that all of us must answer. This is the question of life. Who is Jesus? If Jesus is a fanatical teacher, then he's not worth following, right? If Jesus is not God, then Nietzsche was right. Go do whatever you want, because it ends when you die. But if Jesus is the Son of God, that changes everything. That, that means we have a God who loves us. That means we have a God who wants relationship with us. That changes everything about life. And John is wrestling with this. Now, this is it's an interesting question from John, right? If you think back to Luke chapter 3, John was the one that proclaimed the arrival of Jesus, who he was. He preached a baptism of repentance and forgiveness, looking forward to what Jesus was going to do perfectly. He's now, he, he, he's, he saw the Holy Spirit, he baptized Jesus, he saw the Holy Spirit descend on him, and the Father say, this is my son. And he's going, are you the guy? This is really instructive for us, I think. Furthermore, we know that John is sending this message from prison. <laughs> he was in prison for speaking against Herod's brother taking, or Herod taking his brother's wife in adultery. John's in hot water and about to lose his life for standing for God. He's betted all on Jesus and now he's hedging his bed in the face of death. He's saying, I'm about to die for you, Jesus. Are you the guy for sure? And sometimes I think our circumstances in life can cause us to question God's goodness or even His existence. 
I like this story because even as committed Christians, sometimes our faith is fragile. And we can doubt who Jesus is and what he's doing in our life. Have you been there? Even as pastors, Kevin and I go through seasons of doubt. Is, is this true? Is this worth giving my life to? I could go do this over here. But if Jesus is who he says he is, it's worth it, right? If Jesus is who he says he is, then there's hope. And Jesus doesn't always remove our affliction. He doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want. And sometimes he leaves the healing and the resurrection for the day he returns. And our circumstances can so surround us and darken us that our hearts wonder if God is even real. You know, I read this book. Uh, have any of you read the book Night by Eli Wiesel? Uh, he was a, a man that survived the Holocaust, and he recounts the scene of coming into one of the camps there and seeing the fires of bodies being burned. And he said that was the day he lost his faith. He said, where's God, right? Our circumstances can blind us to what God is doing. For me, it's been in moments of parenting when you lose faith. Will these children ever change? <laughs> can we ever get them to do the right thing? God, could, do you see what's going on here? <laughs> And maybe for you it was the loss of a loved one, a prayer that seems to go unanswered, a situation you want to be out of, but Jesus has you walk through it anyway. And they cause us to doubt God's goodness towards us. We had this funny situation when we arrived in Finland. You know, we've been traveling for umpteen hours, and we get there, and we get our room where we're staying at this, this Bible college, and, and uh, I was hanging out with some of the guys, and I went in the room to get something, and then I went back out in Finland. This is my only critique of Finland. They have these crazy auto-locking doors. And so I walked out of my room, out my key, and the door shut and locked. And it's like 10.30 p.m. at night. But luckily, Jeremiah was in the room, right? I thought, oh, okay. So we go to knock on the door, but that joker is asleep. I can't wake him for the life of me. We bang on the door. We bang on the wall. All four of us are yelling, wake up, wake up. But he's sleeping off his jet lag finally. We couldn't wake him up. All the Finnish people around us are like, you Americans are so annoying, <laughs> right? They're very stoic and quiet. And I begin to think, God, why are you doing this to me? I'm tired. I want to lay in my bed. In fact, I had to sleep in my friend's room on the floor, <laughs> Because we couldn't wake him up till the morning. <laughs> but our circumstances, even little ones like that, cause us to doubt God sometimes. God, what are you doing? Why did you have to make me go through this? Look how Jesus responds to John in Luke 7, 22. Here Jesus summarizes several passages out of Isaiah, the best book in the Bible, P.S., he says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who's not offended at me. He's saying, I'm the servant that Isaiah was telling you about, and I'm doing all the things. Look around, John. I'm the Christ you've been waiting for. But you know what Jesus left off? In several of those passages, it says the prisoners will go free. And where's John sitting? Prison. You ain't getting out of prison, John. Don't be offended at what I'm doing. 
And Jesus says the same thing to us. For all the circumstances that cause us to to doubt, He says, I'm with you and I'm accomplishing a great thing, but don't be offended at how I do it. Because it's going to be really good one day, but you put your faith in me. And look around. Look around at what else I'm doing in the world and you'll know that I'm here. And I think one of the best things we can do as followers of Christians to boost our faith is to encourage each other the ways God is working in our lives and the ways we see him working around the world so that where we're in those places of doubt, we can see that God is still working and we can hang on and put our faith in him. One of the biggest blessings of Kevin and I and our staff working together is that we can encourage one another about what we see God is doing even when it doesn't seem like it in our life. So I'd say, who are you walking with to encourage in the faith? Who are you letting into your walk so that they can encourage you with what's God doing and you can do the same for them? Jesus says, keep the faith even when it doesn't seem logical or possible Don't be offended at how I do things. Often we want Jesus to move on our timeline, but he doesn't. But Jesus wants all of people to be a part of his kingdom. In fact, as we've said, he's creating a new kingdom people, new citizens, a different people, a new kingdom. And this next story highlights his love for all. Look at what it says here in Luke 7, 36-83. This is the this faith of this forgiven woman, right? Jesus is invited to the dinner at a Pharisee's house. And there this woman of ill repute, most likely a prostitute, former prostitute, comes in and begins to clean his feet with tears. She kisses his feet. She pours out a flask of expensive ointment. And the Pharisee is, is revolted at this scene, right? Thinks, If this guy was actually a prophet, he would know who it is that's doing this to him. It's disgusting, Jesus. And often we think like the Pharisees that there's no way that person could come to Jesus because of what they've done. They're too disgusting to come to Jesus. We think we've got to clean ourselves up to come to him. We make it about ourselves. I need to clean myself up if Jesus is going to Accept me. But as Lucas told us, he came to seek and save the lost. He came for the broken people. He sat with sinners because those were the ones he wanted to transform and bring into his kingdom. And I love this. Jesus, reading the Pharisees' mind, says, definitely proving he's a prophet, saying, Simon, I got something to say to you. And this is pretty frank speech from Jesus, right? He then begins to tell him the parable of two debtors, that one owed a little and one owed a lot. And both were forgiven by the lender. And then he turns to the guy and he says, who do you think is going to be more appreciative of that? He says, well, the, I think the guy that had the bigger debt. And Jesus says, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And he goes on to tell him how this woman has loved him more and shown him greater hospitality in his own house than that guy ever has because she's been forgiven by Jesus. He goes on to say that great forgiveness should lead to great love and little forgiveness often leads to little love. Sometimes I think we don't love Jesus enough because we don't realize how much we've been forgiven. We need to press into what God is doing in our life and how he has forgiven us. Luke 7, 48, it says, Jesus says to her, he says to her, and your sins are forgiven. 
Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this that he even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. You go in peace. Jesus even has the authority to forgive sins. Listen, if you're feeling the weight of the things that you have done in life, they're bearing down on you, Jesus says, come. He says, I want to forgive you of all that you've ever done. No matter where you've been, what you've done, any of it, it doesn't matter. I can forgive. I am God's man to forgive. In fact, I can because I will accomplish salvation on the cross. Your sins will be paid for by my blood. In exchange, you get my righteousness. And 1 John 1.9, I think, gives us a perfect confession. It says, if we confess our sins, whatever they are, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Becoming a Christian is as simple as making, saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. I'm sorry for the things I did. Put those on the cross and then begin to walk in his forgiveness and learn how to walk as a citizen of the kingdom. God offers his forgiveness to all of us. He can make you clean. He can put away that shame and all the things that weigh on you. And all he asks is that we say, we believe you, Jesus. You're the Son of God, and you can do away with my sin. And the natural response to that is to give him our lives. That's what she did. That's what we see as we read in our offering time. These women who had been forgiven, they say, my life is yours, Jesus. In fact, I'll support you and the disciples and what God is doing because you have forgiven me. So I'd invite you, if you never made Jesus your Lord today, that you would ask him to forgive you and have him teach you what it means to follow him. It's as easy as that. Will you come to Jesus, be forgiven by his grace? He is compassionate. He loves you. He's not afraid of what you've done. And he can bring you into his kingdom. And then as we go on here in Luke 8, 4 through 15, we see a really important parable on faith. This is the parable of the four soils. Jesus teaches a great crowd of people. He says a farmer goes out and he scatters seed in four different soils. We've heard this story before. One lands on the the pathway and the seed is stolen by the birds. Another in the rocky soil. It springs up fast and then it withers because of no moisture. Some fall on weedy soil and it grows up and yet the weeds choke it out. And some fall on good soil where it goes down deep and bears fruit and great fruit. And Jesus says, I'll tell you what this means. The seed is the word of God, and the soil is our hearts. And those that are thrown on the pathway, they hear God's word, but the devil steals it away from them. And we see this play out all the time, right? You've told your friends about the gospel, and yet it seems like it just washes away, right? Stolen from their hearts. Those of the rock are those who hear And receive it with joy, even rejoice. But as soon as life gets hard, they walk away from the gospel. And how many times have we seen this over the last couple years with COVID? I think God sifted his church quite a bit. When life got hard, God went to the wayside. And some people have never been back to follow him. Those are the weeds that hear and receive, but the cares and the pleasure of life choke it out. That sports game is more important than God. Those recreation activities are more important. Just sitting at home and watching Netflix, I like that better. 
says, all these things choke out the word of God. But those of the good soil hear the word, believe, and hold it fast in their heart and bear great fruit. I think this is a striking parable. Consider this. Only one out of four people become true followers of Jesus. This is sobering. Two out of the four have a decent understanding of who God is, and yet they miss the boat. That's, that's terrifying. Rather, true faith perseveres in hardship. It's not tricked by the pleasures of the world, but rather it lets itself be rooted and grow over time. So I'd ask you, what, what's the soil of your heart like? What have the last couple of years said about your heart? Are, are you trusting in Jesus? Have you put your faith in Him? Or have you rejoiced for a while? And let other things take the place. Luke is calling us to be disciples that continually work at making our soil of our hearts a fertile place for God's word to grow. And he really, really, this is it. Luke 8, 19 through 21, he, he tells us the heart of discipleship here. He says, as Jesus was teaching the crowd, these mo- his mothers and brothers come to find him. They ask to speak to him. And Jesus says this in Luke 9, 21. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. That's it. That's as complicated as it is. Hear God's word, take it in, and begin to live it out in your life in the power of the Spirit. And God is inviting us to join His kingdom by faith to a whole new family that is working to do this. That's why we have the discipleship wheel and God's word right there at the center because it We take it in and then it infuses everything we do. The heart of discipleship. Then look at Luke 8, 22 through 25. We see a desperate faith here as Jesus calms the storm. It says, on another day, the disciples get into a boat and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, which is about the size of Utah Lake. And a storm comes up that's threatening the boat and the lives of all. And in desperation, they go and they... They wake up Jesus say, Jesus, we're perishing. Help us. Luke 8, 24 says this. says, He awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. And he said to them, where's your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? See, the disciples should know at this point that Jesus is God and has authority over all things. But sometimes, again, when that storm comes into our life, we lose all sensibility. We know enough to call out to Jesus, but we still distrust that He can actually do what needs to be done. We're not sure He can pull off the rescue. Sometimes it just takes walking with Jesus over a lifetime to know that He'll be faithful. We had this experience on the train in Finland as we were going up north. And Finland is like one of the safest countries in the world. But guess what? Somebody tried to steal all our bags and jump off the train. And as we're sitting there, it's kind of interesting the different experiences. One guy in our group was kind of freaking out, running around frantic, trying to figure all this out. And I just turned to Jeremiah and I said, let's pray, right? Let's pray that God works this out and that he takes care of us. And you know what? He did. We stopped, we stopped one guy at the train station, got the bag back, stopped another guy that was working with him, trying to get another bag. 
Another bag was stolen, but the cops found it later, right? Trust in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus that he can do great things. He can rescue us in the middle of the storm. And later that night, we were celebrating all that God had done. So what storm in your life do you need to cry out to him today? He can take it. He's God. Have faith that he can work in your situation. And again, Luke tells us more about who Jesus is. Luke 8, 26, it talks about how Jesus has authority over the spiritual world, right? This demoniac comes running up to the disciples and Jesus ends up casting this demon out, much to the surprise of all of those around him. Shows us that Jesus even has has power and authority over our spiritual world. And listen, this is good for us in our city. This is good for us in our world. Because you don't have to be afraid of Satan and his minions. You don't have to be afraid of what's behind all those Halloween decorations in our city. Because our God is greater than all of those things. When you wake up because you've had that bad dream, you speak the name of Jesus over it. When you feel Satan's temptation in your heart to go and sin, you stand against it in the name of Jesus because he's more powerful. When the enemy's coming against you of lies and threats, you're not good enough. Your sin is too great. Is, God, is what God said really true? Say, I know it is because of who Jesus is. Jesus has authority over those things. It also teaches us what we see, that demoniac, when he is saved, you know what he does? You know what Jesus tells him to do? He says, you go back to your home and you tell everybody what Jesus did for you. That when God changes our life, we go and we share with others about what he's doing. And Banjin, come on up. And this last story that we see here in Luke chapter 8 talks about the faith of Jairus and also this woman that is stuck in the middle Jairus was the ruler of a Jewish synagogue and he came at Jesus' feet and he was imploring him that his daughter, his only 12-year-old daughter, was sick at home, was about to die. And he said, but if, if you will come and heal her, I know she will be healed. And Jesus said, okay, let's go. And on the way, there's a woman who had a lifelong illness that comes up and out of her tenacity and desire to be healed and belief in who Jesus is, she grabs his robe and is healed of all of her illness. Luke eight forty eight. Jesus says to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Luke has shown us when we dare to believe in Jesus, our lives will be transformed if you will put your faith in him. And the story goes on. Jairus' daughter dies on the way. But Jesus speaks to them in 850. He says, look, don't fear only believe, and she will be well. And he comes to the house, and he enters the room with Peter, James, and John, and Jairus and his wife, and they see the dead girl, and Jesus says, don't, don't fear, she's only asleep. <laughs> they all laugh, going, Jesus, she's dead, man. It's over. And Jesus takes the girl by the hand and raises her to new life. I want you to see it's never too late for Jesus. Wherever your life is, he has the power to raise it up. He has the power to transform it. He has the power to save you from your sin. 
He has the power to rescue you. He has the power to give you hope in the midst of no hope. He has the the power to see you through this life into his kingdom. But he says, will you believe me? Will you just believe that I'm the son of God who's come to you? Look at what I've done. Look at who I am. Will you believe? Where do you need Jesus to work in your life this week? As we respond in song here, I'd ask you, ask Him to work in your life. Say, I believe who you are, God. Now I need you to work in my life, knowing that He has the power and the authority to do it. And if you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, then I'd say, do that. Say, Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. I want to make you Lord. I believe who you say you are in your word. And I want to see how you'll transform my life. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to open your word and gather as believers. God, we, may we believe what you've said about yourself. Lord, we confess that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord over creation. He's Lord over my life. He is Lord over life and death. He is Lord over the spiritual world. He is Lord over sickness. He is Lord over it all. Lord, will you move in our lives this morning? We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.